This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Now let's take our Bibles tonight and go to the Old Testament. We're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 14 at a message which I have entitled, Go Forward with God. You know, this morning in Sunday school, I I just got over a, a bad cold and uh, I, I thought I was going to be totally healed today, and the doctor said, you're going to cough for a couple of weeks. So I was ready to go and excited about Sunday school, and bless their hearts, they listened to me, but I kind of hacked through most of the thing. They were, they were so kind. I'm thankful I'm not doing that tonight. But the reality is this morning I challenged the young people about the burden on my heart of mentoring. We talked about the importance of them serving God in their generation. Because David in Acts 13, preaching at Antioch of Pisidia, said that when David had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep. He died. You see, you can only serve God in your generation. You can't serve God in anybody else's generation, only yours. But what happens when your generation has really bad circumstances? In Exodus 14, we have a group of people called the Israelites... who have been, there I go, in bondage in Egypt. God has brought them out with a strong hand. And now they have come at the command of God to the edge of a body of water that is absolutely impossible for them to cross over. And the circumstances are really bad. What do you do when you face an impossible situation in your generation with what you're doing? How do you handle what God wants you to do. Well, I submit to you tonight from this text that God wants you, both corporately as a church and individually as a believer, God wants you to go forward. You know, I think about your church needs this morning. You had a lot of people here this morning. And, you know, you have chairs in the aisle, and, and you know, going down the hallways was kind of like a little bit of a maze. I mean, it was all my, almost like Walmart in Alabama on Saturday morning in your hallway this morning. So what do you do? Well, you go forward. Uh, What do you do in your spiritual walk with God? You go forward. What do you do with evangelism? You go forward. What do you do with discipleship? You go forward. Folks, can missions make a difference in a present evil world where we are being opposed? Absolutely. We go forward. That's what God is saying to Moses and the children of Israel. So tonight I want to challenge you about going forward. Folks, this is not a time for conserving our resources. This is not a time for taking it at ease in Zion. This is not a time for being fearful. This is a time of having a bold faith of going forward for God, just like we heard from Brother Josh this morning. So Exodus chapter 14, let's read verses 1 through 10, and then verse 15, in the few minutes we have together, we'll consider some thoughts tonight. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pahiharoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it, shall, before, it, uh, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all of his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. 
And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made his chariot, and he took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pahiharoth before Baal-zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Verse 15. Terrible circumstances. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Folks, there is a time, we're going to see it in the text, when we should stand still. When we wait on God and we get his instructions. But once we have God's instructions... We don't need to pray anymore. We don't need to cry anymore. We simply go forward in obedience to God. And that was a struggle for the children of Israel. And for some of us sometimes, it's a struggle as we do the will of God as well. So let's pray tonight. And we're going to consider just a few simple thoughts this evening for a few minutes about going forward with God. Father, I pray tonight that you would take your word and use it in our hearts. Lord, help us tonight. Lord, help me to be clear in my communication. Help me to be accurate in the handling of the text. And Father, help me to, to share the burden of my soul that we be a people who, who not rest on the laurels of all you've done at Good News Baptist Church. But Father, we have vision and, and courage and boldness to be obedient in going forward. And Lord, we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things tonight about going forward. Number one, going forward begins with a personal reliance upon God. Israel was afraid. Look at verses 11 and 12. I didn't read it earlier. This is how they cried. They said unto Moses, as they cried to the Lord, it really was a cry of unbelief. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What a cry of unbelief from these Jewish people. They were afraid. So why was Israel afraid? Because Israel had their eyes on the enemy rather than on God. And folks, I submit to you tonight, there are a lot of American Christians who are living in fear. They are listening to too much talk radio. They're watching too much political news. And they're worried about things that really have nothing to do with God's ultimate victory on this planet for Jesus Christ. And they're afraid. They're fearful. And the problem is they've got their eyes on the enemy. They've got their eyes on their circumstances instead of having their eyes on the God who is in control and tells us to go forward. 
So this matter of going forward begins with a personal reliance upon God. Reliance upon God is based on a confidence in his love. He says in verses 13 and 14, fear ye not. Now, Pastor mentioned we were talking last night about our relationship with little kids that we love. And he was telling me about some of the little kids here at the church that he just loves and they love him, and there's a warm relationship. You know, with children, if they do not know you, they will be fearful of you. But once they get to know you, they're going to be all over you. I mean, they're, they're going to be there. They're going to be hugging. They're going to be looking at your iPhone. They're going to be doing... Once they get to know you and they have confidence in you, it's all over. You have them. You have their trust. So folks, as children of our Heavenly Father, why do we not trust Him? It's because we don't know Him. It's because we're not walking in reliance upon Him. It's because we're not depending upon him. He wants us to come into his arms. He wants us to cry, Abba, Father. He wants us to walk with him in power. And this going forward is based on a personal reliance in God, which is rooted in a confidence in his love. Do you know your heavenly Father? If you do, you will be confident in his love. Reliance on God, secondly, involves clinging to him in trust. It says in verses 13, of verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. Now, why did he say stand still? Not because he wanted them to stand still permanently, but they needed to wait on God's instructions. I mean, think about it, folks. Here was the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on either side of them, and behind them was the Egyptian army. They were between literally a rock and a hard place. And Moses did not yet know what to do. So God said, Moses, you tell the people, don't be afraid, simply stand still. And the structure of the Hebrew in this phrase, stand still, has the idea of clinging to the Lord and his promises and waiting on him for his instructions. Now, there is a little creature in uh, the water, probably around here, since we're right by the ocean, known as a limpet. And maybe you've heard about uh, the limpet. There was an old Don Knotts movie years ago called The Incredible Mr. Limpet. It was about as silly as anything you've ever seen. But a limpet is a sea creature that is very fearful by its nature. And when anything comes and threatens it, it attaches itself to the nearby rock and can almost, it's almost impossible to remove the limpet from the rock. And folks, God wants us to be spiritual limpets. When we become afraid in our soul, what are we to do? Not get our eyes on the enemy, not get our eyes on the problem, but attach ourselves to the rock and to hold on for dear life. We cling to the rock. We stand still. So reliance on God involves confidence in his love and clinging and trust to him. But thirdly, reliance on God results in consistently proving his faithfulness. It says, and see the salvation of the Lord there in verse 13. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in commenting on this passage, said, suppose there is a fire on the third floor of a house and a child is trapped in a room there. That would be a horrible situation. 
A huge strong man stands on the ground beneath the window where the child's face appears, and the man calls to the child, jump, drop into my arms. Spurgeon says, it is a part of faith <clears throat> to know that there is a man there. That is a part of faith, that's knowledge, and faith is based on knowledge. It is a part of faith to know that there is a man there, still another part of faith to believe that the man is strong, and that's based on what we observe and we see. It's based on understanding. So knowledge and understanding is the basis of faith, but then Spurgeon said the essence of faith lies in trusting him fully and dropping into his arms. Folks, we have a lot of knowledge about God. We even have some understanding about God. I mean, you have Brother Yoho teaching in your Bible Institute, and you have wonderful Sunday school teachers, and you have a great pastor who's giving you the Word of God. You have a lot of knowledge, and that knowledge is not just knowledge. It is understanding about God. But, folks, the test of faith is will you drop into his arms? It's the application of that truth. And that is what God is saying to the children of Israel. Don't be afraid. Stand still, cling to me, get my instructions, and then see my salvation. Trust me, depend upon me, prove me. That's how we go forward. Unfortunately, so many of us think that we're saved by grace, but we're kept by our own human efforts. And folks, salvation is by grace, but sanctification and service and everything else is by his grace as well. So in other words, don't panic. In the circumstances of life, the upcoming election, whatever it is, the economy, the, the, the pandemic, whatever it is, don't panic, but continue to be loving, trusting, and proving God in your life. Go forward with God. So that is our personal reliance. That's point number one, and we've got about ten minutes from what I think Pastor told me. I, I'm sure he would say I could go all night if I wanted to, but I wouldn't presume upon you, my brother. But about 10 minutes, I want you to see the, the second and third points. Going forward demands personal reliance upon God, but it also demands practical obedience. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Moses, Why criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Now this idea of going forward is decisive. It is very decisive. Going forward doesn't happen by accident. Now, it's not the same analogy, but, you know, we think most of you are familiar with an invitation in a church service, and historically, Baptists have given invitations and people go forward. Just as an illustration, people don't go forward by accident. You don't end up at the, at the front of the aisle and say, oh, how did I get down here? No, you have to make a decision. And so, poet, poet Lowell wrote this about our decision-making. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truce with falsehood for the good or evil side. Folks, we need to decide whose side we're on. Are we going to go forward with God and be obedient, or are we going to just panic and be fearful and be overcome by the world, the flesh, and the devil like every other Christian who refuses to follow God? There really is a decision involved. For Israel, it meant they were to go forward. They were to get their eyes off Egypt, get their eyes on God, and be decisive that we're going to follow God, whatever that means. And the Lord's going to tell them what that means. But we're going to follow God. We're going to go forward. 
This obedience had to be at God's directive. Look at verse 21. God told them what to do. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, you know the story. God is going to take the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, and he's going to destroy all of Pharaoh's army. It's a miracle, and it happened. But the point is that they had to do it at God's directive. They couldn't dive into the sea ahead of time. They couldn't tarry and wait until they had the professionals check to see if the ground was really dry. No, they simply followed the rod of God, and whatever God said when Moses lifted up the rod, they did it. It had to be at God's directive. You know, folks, we have a rod today. It is called this book. It is the rod and the staff that comforts us. It is the word of God that is the lamp unto our feet. And just like with Moses' rod, when your pastor and those who preach and teach the word of God hold the word of God up and they preach it and it's clear, you need to be committed to going forward if it's God's directive. Now, if they're preaching something contrary to the word, you are not biblically bound as a believer to obey because they get their authority from the word. But folks, when they do speak the word of God, both individually and corporately, you are to make a decision to go forward at God's directive. But then thirdly, this obedience not only had to be decisive and and directive, but it had to be thirdly divisive. Look at verse 27. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. There was a division made between Israel and the Egyptians. It was the division of death. It was the division of a body of water that separated them forever, never to be seen again. There was division. You know, God has put in our lives a dividing line. It's called the new man. It's called the new life in Christ. Now, there's a lot of theological confusion about anthropology in the Bible, about what is the flesh and what about my old nature and all these things. But let me be very simple. When the Bible says you put off the old man, it's talking about the life that you lived before you were saved. When you put on the new man, you put on the new life that is created in your life by grace after the order of Christ. There is to be a division between your way going forward and the old way looking back. We're new creatures. And folks, it really involves separation. It involves holy living. It involves being different from the world. It involves Uh, Godly standards rightly applied in the local church. It's being distinct. It is being a peculiar people. There needs to be a divisiveness. But when we don't have the separation from the world, the flesh, and the devil, we can't go forward. We can't go forward when we don't separate from the world, the flesh, and the devil. D.L. Moody told a, a humorous story about this. And he made the application in this text. He told about two drunks who had uh, crossed over a body of water and, uh, with their boat and they tied it up at the pier and they went off and they got drunk, really drunk that night. And they decided to make their way home. So they went down to the pier and they got into the boat and they got the oars and they rowed and they rowed and they rowed all the rest of the night hoping to be home across the body of water by tomorrow morning. 
Well, the sun finally came up, and they looked, and they were still at the pier. They had forgotten to untie the ropes on the boat. And Moody went on to say that uh, Christians in their lives, if they do not break with the world system, they'll never make progress. They'll never go forward spiritually until they have a division from the world just like the Egyptians and the Jews in this passage. And then Moody, after he made that statement, he cried out to his hearers relating to the world. He would say, cut the cord. You know, maybe your problem is that you are trying to be a Christian, but you haven't decided to cut the cord with the world. You're saved. You're a member of Good News Baptist Church, but you're just not making progress because you haven't cut the cord with sin and the world, the flesh, and the devil. You need to make that decision. That's what the children of Israel did. Their obedience was divisive. Well, we have just a few minutes, and we need to get to our third point. Reliance, personal reliance on God is the foundation of going forward. Stand still. Don't be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Depend upon God. Practical obedience is the outworking of that. You, you need to be following the Lord and being a separated godly Christian. That's how you go forward. You go forward with God. But then thirdly, going forward with God is related to a purposeful experience with God. Now what do I mean by that? I want you to see in chapter 15, which is the song of Moses and the children of Israel that was sung after God defeated the Egyptians and drowned them all in the Red Sea, Moses and the children of Israel sang a song unto the Lord. And in this song, there are three things that we discover that God wants to be a part of our experience with him. Now, folks, we are not saved by experience. We're saved by faith. But, you know, having biblical faith is a wonderful experience. You know, I'm not married to my wife because of an experience. I'm married to her because we stood before my father-in-law and we made vows before God and we entered into a marriage covenant and we were married. But being married has been a wonderful experience. And I'm, I'm so glad that I married my wife. So folks, God wants us to understand that it's about faith and trust in him. But he wants us to have an experience of that relationship as we go forward. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to... To, to be thrilled with your Christian life and with serving him. It should be something that, that is such a delight to your soul. And that's what we find in chapter 15. So going forward with God is related to a purposeful experience with God. Three things and we're done. Number one, their experience of, with God was definite as to time. It says in verse 15, 1, then sang Moses. Folks, God did a work in Moses and the children of Israel's life in time. It's definite as to time. When is the last time God did something in your life through his word? If we pastored were to have a testimony time here tonight about God working in your heart and life, some of you might stand up and say, I remember 30 years ago. Well, what about this week? What about January? What about February? Is God doing something in your life in time? That's what he wants to do. He wants it to be current, folks. He wants it to be a current experience. Secondly, their purpose, their experience with God was definite as to place. Look at verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. That's a definite place. Someone has said 
that progress in our spiritual life is both spiritual history and spiritual geography. Not just time, but place. Where's the place where God last did a work in your life? You know, I think about the fact that years ago I would take my son, Nathan, who's now an assistant pastor in Denver, Colorado. I would take him to the father-son camp out at the Wiles all the time. And if he were here tonight, he'd tell you about places. He'd tell you about that rock that we sat on when he was 10 years old. And he said to me, Dad, I'm worried about something. I said, pal, you can talk to me. He said, Dad, but it's embarrassing. I said, look, you can talk to me. We're buddies. You can talk to me. He said, well, Dad, I hate to say this, but something's really troubling me. He said, I'm fine. I, I don't hate girls as much as I used to. And so we had the pre-talk on that rock, and he would tell you about that, the geography. So folks, where is the last time, where is the last time that you really met with God? Do you even remember the last time that you met with God? I'm not talking about going through the, the form of devotions or going through the form of church, but when is the last time you saw God do something in your life and answer to prayer through his working and you were just thrilled because God did something in your life? Well, maybe that's the problem. You're not going forward. So God wants us to have an experience relating to time and to place, but also toward purpose. Uh, this is the third point, but there are three subpoints I really want to quickly mention. God has a purpose, folks. He wants us to have a new experience of wonder. Look at verse 11, if you would, in chapter 15. Here's the children of Israel. They have just been saying, look, those Egyptians are so great, we can't do anything, they're going to kill us, we're going to die. And then God did the Red Sea, and then they said, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? God, who is like you? Folks, do you know every trial that we have, every opposition we have, is an opportunity for God to show himself wonderful. Has God shown you any of his wonders in your life through his word recently, we should be experiencing the wonders of God. Not, not new Pentecostal revelation, but God answering prayer and seeing the mighty hand of God prevailing. God wants us to be having a new experience of wonder. What about a new experience of worship? We won't spend time there, but in verse 1, it says they sang this song to the Lord. And if you study this song, they went from talking about, uh, boy, you know, the Egyptians and me, I've got a problem, they're going to kill me. But once there was victory, they sing a song and they don't mention their own names. It's no longer about them, it's about God. And folks, worship, biblical worship is not about us, it's about God. Now we get to participate, but it's about how wonderful and glorious he is, not bringing all of our problems to him. A new experience of worship, and then finally, a new experience of witness. Look at verses 14 and 15, and Brother Jared will like this point. It said, the people, this is their goal. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon him. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. They are excited about a new experience of witness. 
God had become so real to the children of Israel that they wanted the common people to hear, the exalted people to be amazed, the strong people to tremble, and the hostile people to melt away. They were excited about declaring his glory to all of those nations. You know why mission struggles? Because churches struggle. You know why missionaries don't get support? Because churches don't give support. And we know that God's involved in that process and he's going to get missionaries to the field. He's going to supply. But folks, if we would get excited about the glory of God, the wonder of God, the worship of God, and the burden of witnessing for God, I think we would see a lot more happening as we go forward. So these challenge tonight, both personally and as a church, are you going forward? Now we can make a lot of practical applications. You know, I understand that you're looking at maybe an architect drawing some plans, and I don't know where that all is, and I don't want to get involved in that discussion tonight because I'm totally ignorant, and some of you would say a hearty amen to that. But the reality is, folks, you're going to come to places where you're not going to maybe know what to do. And you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, Pastor, can I close with this illustration? When I was a community Baptist church in South Bend, Indiana, we were overflowing. Uh, we needed a new auditorium. And we, we came together and we created a building committee. We drew up plans and we were getting ready to put the money on the table. And the city of South Bend came to us and said, we're not going to put your sewer in and you can't build a building without sewer. And we said, okay, unless God does something we can't go forward. We had a major prayer meeting at the church, and the city said, we're not going to put the sewer in. We had a big prayer meeting at the church, folks, and in one week, the sewer was in. We had several times in the process, we came to roadblocks, and we had prayer meetings at the church, and we said, God, this is your work. We're going to go forward as long as you keep us going forward. We just need your direction. And folks, God did so many wonderful things in building our new building, which was a $5 million project in, in 2001, uh, right about the time that 9-11 happened, okay? We had so many answers to prayer that one of the ladies gave a testimony about our building program. She said, our building program is like a revival meeting because God answers so many of our prayers. Now, folks, I don't know your building program challenges, your mission challenges, your personal challenges. What do you need to do? You trust God and get his direction and go forward by grace. That's how he is glorified as he demonstrates that he is the God of wonders and glory. Go forward with God tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I pray that you would help Good News Baptist Church here in the Tidewater, Lord, to go forward at your command. Father, whatever that is, Lord, may corporately and individually, may you show your hand strong in doing mighty works because you are still the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're the God of the living, not of the dead. And Lord, we can trust you. Lord, help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-2000.
3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.